You are listening to Chthonia, the podcast of the Dark Feminine. Chthonia's logo was designed by J.R. Malpair. Background music is Phantasm by Kevin McLeod. Hello, and welcome to Chthonia. I na- my name is Breege Burke, and I am your host. Um, this week is a little, um, it, it's kind of a, uh, a weird transitional week for me. It was Thanksgiving uh, last week. I uh, had been at the American Academy of Religion conference before uh, Thanksgiving in San Diego and uh, picked myself up actually a really cool uh, Santa Muerte um, statue, which now I have at home and, and sits with um, a lot of my others. Um, I should probably will post, I did post a photo of it to my uh, Facebook page, um, but I will uh, try to post that elsewhere as well. Because uh, I thought it was a really, it was the the, the bridal uh, Santa Muerte, which was uh, which was quite cool. Um, but this episode, I don't not not to sidetrack too much on that. This is a rather late episode, just because of um, I've been traveling, and uh, the episode that I was going to do on the Black Madonna has to be had to be postponed, uh, just because of some you know unforeseen uh, difficulties. So, which is fine. We'll hopefully it would actually be nice if we could have that episode for uh, the Christmas holiday because. Black, you know, Madonna and Child Christmas, you know, it seems like it would fit in, but it's entirely possible that it might be later than that. Um, and that's fine. We'll just, uh, we'll roll with it and uh, we'll see what's next. But I decided to take this week as sort of an interim um, episode and, and talk about a topic that I know quite a bit about, just sort of off the top of my head. And that is about what I'm going to call uh, Artemis, about the goddess Artemis, okay, and or what I will call the Wrath of Artemis. Now, Artemis, uh, technically, those who are following this as, you know, having to do with the Chthonic gods will immediately say, well, Artemis is, uh, is not Chthonic. I mean, Artemis is, a, is an Olympian. She's one of the celestial deities. Um, she's associated with purity. She's associated with virginity. And she's also the goddess of the hunt. Her, her Roman counterpart is the goddess Diana. And as I've said in other episodes, she is also sort of the... Um, a, the upper light world version of Hecate, if you will. Um, and there's a, an interesting um, ancient connection there. So so the question would be then, why, why would we classify Artemis with Chthonic deities? And the answer is actually, there's you know, two or three answers to that question. Uh, some, a lot of it has to do with her origins, uh, what, what kind of a deity she was originally. Okay, because her, she was, it's very clear that she was an older um, goddess, probably from the Phrygia area, and that she was probably an ancient mother goddess, who was um, later sort of combined with and subsumed by, you know, some other deities, you know, when they, when the Olympian pantheon was put together, when that cult of the Twelve came together, uh, or at least the, uh, the Greek version of the cult of the Twelve. So, <clears throat> excuse me, she is, um, so, okay, so just some basic background on Artemis herself. Um, I think most people are probably, well, I would say anybody who's, who's learned anything sort of basics of Greek mythology has heard of Artemis. But in case you haven't, or just need to be reminded, she is, she and the god Apollo are twins. They are uh, the children of the god uh, Zeus and Leto, and Leto is actually technically uh, a titan. She, you know, because um, Apollo and Artemis were born uh, probably at the time when Zeus and Hera were, you know, when Zeus and Hera were first married, Leto was already pregnant, and this made Hera very, very upset. And if you follow the sort of uh, drama of the uh, marital relationships of the Greek gods, 
we know that the cycle is that um, Zeus and Hera are married. They have children of their own, but Zeus <clears throat> is constantly um, desiring other women. And when he gets himself involved with those other women and those women bear their children, whether they be demigods, whether they be other gods, whatever it is, uh, Hera has, has absolute jealous fits, but she does not take out on her husband because she cannot as king of the gods or, you know, she, maybe she, she takes it out a little more passive aggressively, but she does take it out on the women. So uh, she will, you know, she will, you know, turn them into something or um, like in the sense of, you know, Io being changed into a cow, for example, uh, with many, you know, um, or actually, you know, was she, I'm trying to remember which way that went, if she was changed into a cow or if she was just had a, a cow with many eyes that was set over to watch her. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly which way that went. In any case, a lot of times the, um, the women who became involved with Zeus, whether they did so willingly or not, in many cases, it may not, it, maybe even it wasn't unwilling, just unknowing that they were mating with Zeus. Uh, she does tend to take it out on the women and on their children. So, uh, so Hera herself has her, has sort of her own dark side. But Artemis, uh, with Leto, um, basically Hera would not allow anybody to, um, you know, basically said, you know, try, try to keep her from giving birth on land. And eventually, um, the island of Delos, uh, you know, you know, basically went against Hera's wishes and allowed Leto to be there and to give birth to the twins. So, of course, Hera did not care for the island of Delos, but it became sacred to Artemis and to Apollo in particular. And it was in the Temple of Apollo, uh, an oracle at, at Delos as well. Um, now, she is, now, within, now, the other part of that particular birth story is that the, um, the birth goddess, uh, Aletheia, uh, that Hera detained her so that Leto would not have the midwife there to help her give birth. So Artemis supposedly was born first and then assisted helping her mother um, deliver Apollo. So they're twins, technically. Uh, other versions, sometimes Apollo's a little older than Artemis. You know, it, again, like, these stories can vary. But uh, but she's been around for a while. I mean, her temple at Ephesus, uh, which, is, which shows a very different Artemis. Now, some people say she's many-breasted. Others say, no, those aren't breasts. Those are just large beads on her, you know, you know, decorated with many, many beads. But they look like many breasts, which implies a little bit, you know, which nonetheless, even if it, regardless of what that intention is, it does give her a little bit more of a, um, it implies something a little bit more of on, on the way of a fertility deity or a mother goddess. And see, and Artemis, interestingly, the main, one of the main things she's associated with is chastity and virginity, as well as the hunt, okay? And, um, and this, this makes her dark in her own kind of a way. We tend to think of purity and chastity, um, you know, they're the good Christian female values, right? I mean, that this is what um, people are supposed to obey. Artemis was the one who enforced that girls did not have sex before they were married, okay? Uh, in Greek, in ancient Greek times. Uh, this this idea uh, was was there, you know, to try to you know the the integrity or the um, you know uh, <clears throat> whatever you want to call that, uh, you know, Artemis was the one responsible for it, but she wasn't she wasn't particularly nice about it, um, and so this is something. See, but at the same time, I think I'm saying she's she's also associated with childbirth and with helping women who are in the pains of childbirth. Uh, but uh, but she's also associated with violent death of children. So, okay, so we can see we've kind of got this, you know, like a lot of the, the Greek gods, uh, Artemis is extremely complex. And I would like to actually focus in this episode um, on a couple of different aspects of her, the sort of the darker or wrathful aspects. 
One is sort of the, what I'm going to call the plague aspect, you know, the Artemis who brings uh, sudden and violent death. Um, and which her, which she shares with her brother, by the way. I mean, if you, if you, almost every Greek tragedy that you read, the, the ones that we have, starts with a plague that's been sent by Apollo. The Iliad starts with a plague that's been sent by Apollo. Um, the, um, <clears throat> was it, was it, was the Aristotle, oh, the Oedipus, um, you know, that, that, you know, how does Oedipus be exposed as the murderer of Laius? Because a plague is brought on the city of Thebes. So, sent by Apollo. So it's, there's always a, um, so the, the twins are very much associated with plague as much as they're associated with all these other things that we, you know, we tend to think of. Again, her being a hunter, her being a virgin, uh, with Apollo, with his, you know, he's sort of associated with, um, you know, poetry and inspiration and, um, and, and sort of light and civilization, you know, he becomes kind of almost equivalent of the sun god, even though he's not Helios per se, he is, you know, Apollo does become, you know, associated just as Artemis ends up becoming associated with the moon. Um, they have this, um, you know, the, the fact is that they are not just simply these, uh, the way that we tend to think in, in good and evil terms, you know, they are not simply these quote unquote deities of light. They have, they have their aspects and their attributes that are, you know, frankly, just in my view, very, very honest. This is sort of what, this is sort of what it is. This is, you know, and, and we get ourselves caught up when we say, but this deity, you know, or this one's supposed to be all good or supposed to stand for this. How come this happened? Well, because I, I, I okay, I, you know, I, I can't pretend to know the nature of God, but I suspect that it's not quite so um, cut, dried, and compartmentalized as people sometimes like to think. I, it's a suspicion anyway. So we're going to talk about the plagues, and I also want to talk about Artemis's association with um, uh, with animals, okay, and and how animals figure into her wrathful aspect, particularly when it comes to chastity, and particularly the chastity of young girls, especially young girls who are about to um, enter into um, their what what was considered to be the proper social female adult life, where they move from being um, you know corde to being guinea to being um, you know um, you know parthenos, which you know when they when they basically become parents, okay, um, because there's a sense that Artemis does not you know because she is she is somebody who guards virginity so closely that she is not does not look very favorably on women giving up their virginity. So there's certain rites that must be performed in order for the young girls to safely pass uh, without being slain by Artemis or by a similar force um, and thus leaving them as Aori, you know, these um, wandering ghosts who don't, um, you know, <clears throat> these liminal spirits who are neither sort of neither in the world of the dead or the living uh, or become assistants of the Furies. Um, if you go back to the podcasts that I've done on Hecate, on the Arrhenius uh, or the Furies, and also the one on the Hanging Virgins, uh, there's a lot of information there that I'm going to try not to repeat here, being I've already discussed it in, in one place. But, um, but, but do feel free to go back and review those. Those are all on chthonia.net and also metapsychosis.com slash series slash chthonia. Um, all the episodes are there. So if you haven't heard those for whatever reason, um, you're welcome to go back and, and have a listen for more background on this. So let's, let me give it, let me start here. Um, I want to start by talking about Artemis and her association with plague. Um, in particular, there's, there's one story, and that is the story of uh, Niobe, okay? Niobe was a queen of Thebes. Now, Thebes always, um, 
you know, just kind of like some of the other, it tends to be kind of a central um, uh, place. It, it, her, her, her father is Tantalus, okay? Tantalus is the one who ends up in, he is one of the few people who pisses the gods off enough that he ends up in Tartarus. Uh, where he, if he tries to drink from a pool of water that he's standing in, it, you know, because he's thirsty, it recedes away from him. And if he tries to pick the fruit that's very, you know, look, looks looks tantalizing, hence the word, right above his head, uh, it pulls away from him if he tries to reach for it. And this is his punishment for killing his son, cooking him, and feeding him to the gods. You know, as sort of as a test to see whether or not they would know that this was human flesh. Um, and so that violates all kinds of taboos. Um, <clears throat> There's actually a class I teach, a myth class, um, you know, within the mythology segment that I teach on cannibalism and mythology and and how cannibalism um, in these particular mythologies taints, you know, the way you're showing that it corrupts the family line, just the way incest does. Um, there's a, uh, you know, this idea of the father devouring the son before the son, you know, rather than the son becoming an emanation of the father who can um, then go out into the world, you know, that the father devours him. Well, of course, the gods restore Pelops, who is his, um, uh, you know, who is the son who was, who was killed. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and so Pelops, you know, well, Pelops goes on to make a whole other host of mistakes of his own, but Niobe is his sister. Okay, and um, so she is, she lives on Delos. She's a queen of Thebes, but um, she had, uh, but Leto had, uh, you know, there they was basically a general right. There were rights to um, to Leto that were performed as you know honoring the mother of Apollo and Artemis, and she was um, you know, and and so she 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 was sort of disdainful of these ceremonies, and and her her thing was now again it depends on the version. In most versions, she has seven girls and seven boys. She has all these children. In other versions, in the tragedies, she has ten sons and ten daughters. Uh, there's at least one writer who claims to, that she has five, um, three girls and two boys, something like that. Regardless, she's got a lot of kids. And uh, so Niobe says, I don't see why I should worship Leto, who only had two children, where look at all these children that I have. I'm, I'm, I'm a better mother than she is. Um, and it's very interesting, these acts of sort of hubris, of saying that one is better than the gods. Something, um, I mean, you know, you know, it's something that mortals just don't, seem to learn from but I guess it, the um the idea is this idea that you know you you you're you think your fertility is so much better but Leto of course is not going to tolerate this slight so she asks her two children to avenge her and they do um what they do is they um you know Artemis um you know you know Apollo um killed her sons as they practice athletics Artemis shot the daughters and died instantly without a sound now in some versions um I'm actually going to look at a version that I have here. Here we go. Um, all right, so I'll just I'll just read this story from, this is again, this is uh, Pierre Grimal's Dictionary of Classical Myth. He, he gives the different versions here. Happy and proud of her children, Niobe declared that she was superior to Leto, who only had one son and one daughter. The goddess felt offended and asked Apollo and Artemis to avenge her. The two deities slaughtered the children of Niobe with their arrows. Artemis killed the girls, Apollo the boys. Only one boy and one girl were saved, and in some versions, none of them were. The latter became pallid with terror. She took the name Chloris, meaning green, and later married Nellius, um, who's one of the, um, uh, uh, I think Nellius is one of, you know, really it's one of the Oceanids. Um, in the Iliad, the children of Niobe remain unburied for 10 days. In the 11th, the gods themselves buried them. 
Uh, in more recent version, Niobe fled to Tantalus, her father, at, at um, Sipolis, or to Mount Sipolis in Asia Minor, where she was changed into a rock by the gods. Her eyes continued to weep, however, and people were shown the rock which had once been Niobe, from which a spring flowed. There was another version of the Niobe legend in which Niobe was the daughter of Asayon, who had married her to an Assyrian name, uh, Philotus. The latter was killed during a hunt, and Asayon became enamored of his own daughter. She refused to yield. Asanon then asked his grandchildren to a feast during which he set fire to the palace and burned them all alive. Stricken with remorse, Asayon killed himself. Niobe was either changed to a stone or threw herself from the top of a rock. So that's a very different version. But, um, But the basic one is the idea that she has offended Leto, the mother of Apollo and Artemis, by, you know, saying, you know, she was superior because she had more children. And uh, so they, they slay, slay all her children and turn her to stone. Okay? Not, uh, you know, not, not, not a very uh, nice or pleasant outcome. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, it was... So, it's a, so you have this idea of, um, of, of mur- the murder of children. Okay? Um... Some of some of um, Artemis's other things that she's done, some of her less well-known ones, um, she saves uh, Atalanta, um, who is going to be put out for exposure, um, sending a female bear to suckle the baby. We're going to talk about bears in a minute. Um, Artemis later sent a bear to hurt Atalanta because others claimed uh, Atalanta was a superior hunter. Again, you don't um, make yourself better than the gods. Um, now, another one called Aura. This is uh, this is rather interesting. Aura was the daughter of Lelantos and Periboya. She was a virgin huntress just like Artemis and proud of her maidenhood. One day she claimed the body of Artemis was too womanly and she doubted her virginity. Artemis asked Nemesis for help to avenge her dignity and caused the rape of Aura by Dionysus. Okay, Dionysus, the god of wine. We'll have to do an episode on him too, even though he's not a Chthonic female. He has a lot to do with it. Aura became a mad and dangerous killer. When she bore twin sons, she ate one of them, while the other one, Iacchus, was saved by Artemis. <clears throat> Iacchus later became an attendant of Demeter and the leader of the Eleusian Mysteries. Oh, this is an interesting way to tie uh, Artemis and Demeter and, um, you know, and, and Eleusis, which is where, you know, um, you know, they, you know, trying to kind of, you know, uh, tying her into that. Um, and... You know, and and you know, there's and there's another, you know, there, there's sort of this uh, other aspect of this where um, Artemis becomes she becomes almost the sort of uh, on a spectrum she becomes sort of the 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 opposite of Aphrodite, but Aphrodite is somebody she also still has respect for. Um, there's the story of Hippolytus. Okay, Hippolytus is a young man who um, has dedicated himself to Artemis and who is very chaste. Um, but he rejects sexuality, he rejects women, he rejects everything about women, he's hateful of it, he's disdainful of anybody who, um, who, who deals with love or sex or anything like that. And of course this angers Aphrodite. Um, and so, because, because, you know, because, you know, and so what Aphrodite did, uh, was she made his, uh, stepmother, this was, um, he was a son of, um, Theseus, okay, Theseus, the same Theseus who fought the Minotaur, okay, who was king of Athens. Uh, but he had married a woman named Phaedra. Phaedra, uh, Aphrodite made Phaedra fall in love with Hippolytus. This was his stepmother. And he tra- tried to get him to um, go to bed with her. He refused, of course. But then she went and told uh, Theseus that she was raped by Hippolytus. So he didn't didn't investigate the story. He just simply had Hippolytus um, chained to the back of a chariot and dragged to his death. It was only later on that he realized that his wife had been lying. And um, 
you know, and he had, you know, grief-stricken at having killed his own son. Um, but this was Aphrodite's revenge. So there's kind of another flip side to this, that those who um, espouse virginity to, um, you know, too much, that, you know, that they, that they risk the wrath of, um, they, you know, those who embrace Artemis too much risk the, risk the wrath of Aphrodite. And you can probably think about that in a almost um, metaphorical way, you know, that there needs to be a balance between, um, you know, perhaps relationship and, you know, what, what we might think of as <clears throat> pure or chaste behavior, that there has to be, that there needs to be a balance there, that it is, that in some fashion that, that sex and, and coming into relationship and love is also a natural part of life, and that to project that side of you um, is, is problematic as well. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, it's, and, and, you know, you may feel different ways at different points in your life, but to say that one is superior to the other um, can generally lead to problems. To me, I'm almost reminded of, um, I find myself thinking of the scandals with the priests, you know, where they, they, they're sworn to a life of chastity, but then they start sexually abusing little boys um, and make them stay quiet about it. So to me, uh, that's, and then of course they're exposed and, you know, well, of course the church doesn't do as much about it as they or should, or at least they haven't in the past. But, um, you know, there's this idea of these these sort of you know, the way in which, cha you know, which a life of chastity can lead one to, um, you know, you know, lead one down a wrong path. We can't say that with Apollotus because, you know, he, you know, he, he was sort of the victim of somebody who lied about him, but Phaedra lied at the behest of Aphrodite. You know, she was, she was getting back at him just like she would get back at a lot of Trojan warriors who uh, wronged her, or sorry, I should say Greek warriors in the Trojan War by making their wives unfaithful. So there's, you know, so there's, there's this kind of Artemis-Aphrodite-like axis here. Um, so similarly, Artemis is somebody who's associated, she's associated, um, so yeah, so while she's a virgin, you would, that would be associated with not bearing children. At the same time, Artemis does have a connection to, um, to children. But she is also, she and her brother are also very much responsible for, um, for violent death in children. So that, that's the, probably the most notable story is the one of uh, Niobe. Now, um, so there's, so there's that, that aspect of her that's a little bit what we would call darker. Um, the other interesting one has to do with animals, particularly, now, Artemis is particularly associated with bears, stags, and at least in one place with bulls. And bulls are interesting because they tend to be a, a fertility symbol. Uh, bears, if you know your Jungian archetypes, uh, the bear tends to be a manifestation sort of in dream imagery and other places of the, what they call, we call the terrible mother, the, the angry devouring mother. Um, and not because bears are devouring, but because they are so ferociously protective of their young. Um, they're, uh, you know, you, um, I remember my sister telling me a story about when she lived in Pennsylvania and there was a guy in their development, I guess, cause they lived very, very far out in the woods who had accidentally hit a bear cub, like it ran out in front of his car. And he had gotten out of the car and gone away. And it was a good thing he did, because Mama Bear came out of the wood, picked up his car, and actually demolished it. If he had been in it, he would have been dead. Um, because she was just furious that her, her cub had been killed. And so she was going to destroy whatever had killed her cub. <clears throat> so there's kind of an ask, yeah, there's, there's that, that aspect, that, that terrifying aspect um, and, you know, in some dreams, yeah, the bear does represent that, 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 that towering feminine influence, which is absolutely frightening. So the bear in some ways is almost the heart of the, um, of the destructive feminine, you know, in, in terms of a symbol. And Artemis is very much associated, 
uh, with bears. Um, <clears throat> so bear, like I said, bears and stags. Um, we, I talked in the um, Hanging Virgins about the story of Iphigenia. Uh, Iphigenia herself was probably an ancient goddess that kind of sort of got rolled into different things. But um, Iphigenia, at beginning, now again, Artemis was on the side of the Trojans in the Trojan War, probably because uh, her brother Apollo was the patron of that city. Okay, So she tended to side with Troy rather than with Greece. And before the war starts, there's a play by um, Euripides called Iphigenia at Taurus. And Taurus, of course, has to do with bull, um, or with, with bulls. But she is, they are, um, I'm sorry, not at Taurus, Iphigenia at Olus. I'm getting myself mixed up. There is an Iphigenia at Taurus as well, but that has to do with what happens after. Um, so Iphigenia at Olus. Okay, so there, the, the Greek ships are stuck there. They cannot get to Troy because there is no wind. And they are told that it's because either somebody killed a favorite stag of Artemis's or that somebody insulted her hunting ability. And so one of the main Greek generals was going to have to pay with human sacrifice. Now, understand that human sacrifice was not any, was, was completely and totally non-acceptable in ancient Greece. Okay, it was just not, it was not done. Um, you only hear about it in some of these very, very specialized kind of circumstances. And so when the oracle tells them that, it's decided that Agamemnon's daughter, uh, Iphigenia, will be brought. But she's brought under a pretext. They lie to her mother, Clytemnestra, and they tell her that she's being brought to be married to Achilles. So her mother is delighted. She's come, you know, she's dressed for a wedding. You know, they bring the people, you know, they, all those things. And instead they take her to the altar and they, they kill her. Now, um, supposedly, now in some versions of it, you know, they sort of silence her because they don't, she doesn't, she doesn't want to be sacrificed. And, and also the idea of an unwilling sacrifice is extremely inauspicious, just so you know. Um, if an animal shows a lot of distress during the sacrifice, then they said that's actually a very bad sign. The animal's not going willingly. And certainly if a Janiah is the human sacrifice was not going willingly. And this was actually the um, where, Cly where Clytemnestra's rage against Agamemnon comes from, um, and why she eventually kills her husband, because she's enraged at what, you know, him taking their daughter and, and lying about it, uh, just so he could have favorable wins for his battle. And so she, uh, so Iphigenia is sacrificed, but, and then there's different, you know, in, in the Euripides play, she goes very nobly. Uh, however, in the other versions, she struggles a lot. They have to, you know, stop her from screaming. And what she does is they said it's like she shakes herself. Um, she shakes her robe off and she tries to reach to the elders sort of for, for pity. Um, and that shaking is, they said, is reminiscent of what a bear does when it shakes like its fur or gets rid of some of its fur. Um, how is it? Um, it... Uh, let me see just how this is explained here. I just want to find this here. I have it written. Um, <clears throat> yes. Um, a final act of desperation, she shrugs out of her robes and tries wordlessly to reach out to the elders, hoping that in pity they will release her from her hell. Iphigenia's shedding of her robes is an act done by the quote-unquote bears of Brorian Artemis. Okay, I'm going to talk about that in a second. As depicted by vases, which show the bears having shed their robes and naked, an act which is significant in fulfillment of a bear's career. The idea that the bear uh, sheds its, um, you know, sheds its, um, its fur, really. If a Janiah makes the original sacrifice and these quote-unquote bears continue the ritual by shedding their saffron robes. So the idea of Artemis at Broron 
the Broran rituals have to do with uh, women behaving like bearers, okay? And, and when they say that, that's what they mean, that they shed these robes. Now, others say it's because um, someone killed a bear sacred to Artemis, and now um, this was, and they said that she sent a plague that would cease if the Athenians would consecrate their daughters to her, to the bear Artemis, every five years. And it says, Artemis was worshipped as the great she-bear, and girls required to undergo a period of ritual wildness before puberty were her, Im- were her images, the arctoi, and often wore bear masks in rituals. Okay, that's interesting. So, so on the one hand, there may be this Iphigenia connection, because Iphigenia, it is said, it, again, differing versions of that outcome, uh, Iphigenia either is sacrificed. Most of the time, though, Artemis grabs her at the last minute and replaces her with a deer. And instead, she makes her a priestess first at Taurus. Okay, that's where I got myself confused there. That's where the um, the bull, uh, the bull association, and then later at Broron, which is the bear association. And very likely, Iphigenia was some other local ancient deity that has kind of gotten rolled in. Hesiod, in his version in the, the um, in um, I believe it's in the Catalog of Women. He talks about Iphigenia, he mentions the sacrifice of Iphigenia, and said instead Artemis took her away and she became, and Iphigenia became the goddess Hecate. Okay, now, um, and again, more on that in the Hecate episode, but Hecate um, is also, I've I've said, and I've said this in the other episode, that I feel that she is sort of the underworld version of Artemis. They both have a pack of hounds that they run with. Um, Hecate just does so at night, under the moon, across the crossroads. Both of them do have kind of an association with the moon, different phases of the moon, and um, <clears throat> which is probably where Wiccans get a lot of the idea about, you know, virgin maiden crone um, with Hecate sort of representing the crone aspect and Artemis representing the virgin aspect. I, I'm not going to say that that's historically Greek, um, but I don't think that's really, um, I'm not sure that the evidence supports that. Nonetheless, it, it's not hard to see where that idea comes from. Um it's it's so she so okay so you, and and again they both they both kind of um you know Hecate you know running through the underworld with her torch and her dogs and Artemis uh, in the upper world and Iphigenia is kind of a a linking figure but again there there's kind of a sense that both Hecate and Iphigenia may have been older goddesses associated with um uh with young girls with these transitions and that they kind of got rolled into the Artemis myth uh, in their own way I mean Hecate sort of has her own uh, you know, her own set of complexities. But Artemis is, um, you know, you know, she's, you know, she's a contradiction in, in a lot of ways with this. Um, but in any case, if a Janiya, if you consider the fact that she was a virgin girl who allegedly was about to be married, um, <clears throat> she snatches her away before that event can take place. So either way, I mean, in, in Iphigenia, Taurus, uh, Clytemnestra actually says at the end, it doesn't, you know, even when the priest says, oh, um, Artemis came and took her away, she says, well, it doesn't matter. I still don't have my daughter either way. So, um, you know, so that, that was certainly a Euripides' take on it. But so, so this idea of this, this rite of Broron, this was a rite that girls had to perform, um, you know, not only to stave off plague, but also this was something that what they did, this wildness that they had to do before, you know, before they enter puberty, so in other words, before they enter their childbearing years, it's like a rite of appeasement by behaving like bears. Now, speaking of bears and Artemis, um, <clears throat> there's a there's a couple. Well, there's one about a stag and one about a bear. Let's start with the one 
um, about the bear, okay? And that is the myth of Callisto. Callisto was um, the daughter of uh, Lycaon, the king of Arcadia. Um, and Lycaon actually has his own sort of uh, animalistic um, uh, origins, but not, not to sidetrack. Um, she was one of uh, Artemis's hunting, attend hunting attendants. As a companion of Artemis, she took a vow of chastity. Uh, Zeus appeared to her disguised as Artemis, or in some stories as Apollo, to gain her confidence <clears throat> and took advantage of her. Or, according to Ovid, simply raped her. As a record of this encounter, she conceived a son named Arcus. Okay, so enraged, Artemis, and in some versions Hera, because it's got to do with Zeus, some say both, changed her into a bear. And when she ran through the woods, you know, she encountered her son who had grown up, and he was hunting, and he almost killed, and he was going to slay his own mother, because she, she was looking at him and trying to plead with him that, you know, this is, this is her mo his mother. But she, he doesn't know that. He's about to kill her, but then Zeus stops him. And out of pity, he places both of them, um, places Callisto into the heavens. And in some versions, both Arcus and Callisto are placed in the heavens, and that they are the constellations of Ursa Minor and Ursa Major, the great bear and the little bear, okay? With the mother being the great bear and the son being the little bear. Um, and supposedly, too, this is where Hera also asks um, Tethys, who is the goddess of, um, you know, she, she's kind of the goddess of, of uh, fresh waters, but she's also, um, uh, she also appeals to the, you know, deals with the constellations and the skyline, you know, the, sort of the skyline, the horizon line. And so she um, never allows them to go a certain point um, beyond the horizon. Um, which is which is interesting, uh, just just in her anger over that. So there there again we see a dark side of Artemis. You break the vow of chastity, you get turned into a bear, and so the Broron ritual is almost like okay, you're going to behave like a bear beforehand. You know, it's sort of like it maybe it's a way of sort of tricking Artemis into thinking like okay, you know, you know you you know you're you're about to commit this you know deed. You've already been in some way you've already been turned into a bear whether it's just one getting one's wildness out before they have to settle down to what was considered to be sort of a proper life as a head of a household. Don't know. Um, you could probably make cases for a lot of these things if you want to. Not something I've researched in any great depth, but um, interesting thought. Um, the other story, other kind of transformation story there is the one of um, Acteon. And um, let me just uh, find it here. Here we go. I'm... Okay, um, yeah, and there's, diff again, different versions. They're often fragmented, but the core of them, uh, you have a hunter named Acteon whom Artemis turns into a stag because he, ba supposedly his transgression is that he witnesses her naked while she's bathing, and he doesn't turn his face away. Um, so when she sees this, she, you know, because again, she's a virgin goddess. She's not going to be looked upon naked by a man. Um, she turns him into a stag, and then his own dogs are set upon him, and they kill him. Okay. And in some versions, of course, these are Artemis's hounds who go after him. But, um, so again, there's this, this transformation. Um, the men, man turned into a stag, or in some cases, Iphigenia. Other cases, uh, we're talking about bears. Bears associated with women, and, um, the men being, uh, turned into stags, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, that, that is certainly her sacred animal. Um, you know, and there are certain stags, of course, uh, like in the, um, labors of Heracles, um, there is the, uh, the stag that, uh, he 
he takes it away, and of course Artemis pursues him, and he says, no, no, I'm not going to kill your stag, I just need to show, you know, um, you know, he just needed to show the, the king um, that he had picked up the stag, uh, and then he would bring it back to her. So she allowed it, you know, being it was one of the labors that he had to complete. But it took him about a year to catch it. So in any case, we, we see this connection with that, and then of course her connection at Taurus, um, which, which is more associated with the bull, and actually is a little bit more of a fertility association there because of uh, the association of bulls with, with fertility. Uh, particularly, uh, well, I don't know, both masculine and feminine fertility, really, um, if you want to look at some of those, um, uh, you know, some of the way that those myths have been inter interpreted, certainly in ancient um, Mycenae and ancient Minoan um, Crete. Uh so you know, so so Artemis is is sort of this this the, the her her wrathful aspect seems to be largely centered around children, childbirth, and rites of passage, which makes her kind of a very liminal, almost chthonic figure. It's like you have to appease Artemis before you can pass through the next gate, before you can go to the next stage, and it's um, and so it makes it. Um, you know, so, so she becomes, you know, so, so she's sort of this, this, this very almost, it makes her almost a very, very dark figure. She, she has sort of an underworld quality. You know, this is, this is the test you must pass. You know, she's, she's the feminine test that you must pass. You know, in other words, in order, if you're, if you're going to give up your virginity, you have to give it up in the right way through these sort of animalistic um, rituals to Artemis, Okay. And if you don't do that, you risk being cut off, her, her destroying you or cutting you off at a point in your life when you are not able to, um, you know, not be able to bear children or do what, what quote unquote normal women were supposed to do at that point in time. I mean, we would have, a, I mean, um, and, and again, try to, try to think about this. Um, it, it's very easy to think about all of these things on the social level, especially now when, you know, there's a lot more discussion of gender and, and differences in gender or, or multiple genders other than just simply being, um, you know, male or female. Just try to remember that this is, this is kind of functioning on an archetypal level. It's talking about um, more about uh, possibly biological passages through life. Um, as certainly the woman, as we talk about in The Hanging Virgins, the woman who dies but does not bleed. Okay, so therefore she has not reached a menarche. She has not, um, does not have, um, yeah, hasn't, hasn't had her period yet. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm just right now, I'm actually just looking at my own book, um, Death and the Maiden, because I actually do have a thing where I talk about, uh, Artemis. Um, I make note of the fact that she, you know, in, in the Iliad, Artemis is almost treated like she's, um, like a, a young girl who runs away and cries, you know, when things don't go her way. Um, she says, uh, Hera strikes her, um, at some point when she, she upbraids her brother for not taking part in the battle. Um, but Hera, of course, who's on the side of the Greeks, uh, strikes her and says cruel things to her. And the arrows fall scattered on the ground, and Artemis runs off in tears to be comforted by her father Zeus, leaving Leto, her mother, to pick up the arrows. Okay, Homer almost makes her sound like she's like some silly young girl. And I don't know, you, you could see almost a little bit of the attitudes towards femininity here, um, or towards her, you know... I don't know. I, I don't know if it's actually kind of like a childish disdain for her, like Artemis is not maturely participating in, in the woman's life by, you know, by giving up her virginity. I don't know. I don't know where that inflection comes from in Homer, but you don't see it anywhere else. 
Okay. Um, and of course I did talk about, um, uh, the Niobe story. I think I took my version from the Iliad and, um, yeah, let's just see. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> I have in here, Artemis has a role as a moon goddess and the temple of the Artemis at Ephesus was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. Artemis represented there had many breasts or many, some say many beads but certainly they look like breasts, making her more of a mother figure. It's hard to separate the feminine and masculine aspects of her character, and it may suggest that the natural world reflects a combination of masculine and feminine elements working together, and that there's a bit of each in the other, sort of like the yin-yang symbol. Um, and then I skip over, I say, uh, the contradiction, contradictory collection of associations may also indicate the ancient nature of Artemis, like Demeter and Hera, she is form of an older pre-Greek deity and her various associations coming together in one figure. However, the fact that the Greeks accepted these contradictions suggested they were accepting of the complex nature of the feminine, consciously or not. Okay. Now, again, I, I make the, I'm, I'm very specific about making the distinction about the feminine and women. Okay, they're not the same thing. There are men have feminine characteristics, women have masculine characteristics. We are talking about the feminine in its most sort of primal archetypal state. And the myth of Artemis is very much tied up in this and um and again having to do with, you know, <clears throat> you know, we we tend to think in you know, again if you come from a Christian background, you may see virginity and chastity uh, as uh you know, and, and sort of obedience to this uh, social norm as a, um, you know, a, you know, as 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 the proper thing to do, as the as the right thing for a woman to do, or to a way to behave. Um, an idea that I think, um, I, I mean, I'm sure I know it. Ex it still exists. Certainly, we have uh, these these purity balls. I think I've talked about those before, which I find just you know. I don't know. I, I, you know, the people who do them, they say, oh no, they're, they're wonderful or they're this or that. I'm like, they're just really offensive to me in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of incestuous implications. Okay. Even though they say, no, that's, that's not what they're about. And their, their fathers are not like that and so forth. Yeah. Okay. You're not like that, but the ritual itself has an incestuous association. I'm sorry. You know, whether, whether you know it or not. Um, just like eating birthday cake has a cannibalistic one, although that's not quite so, um, quite so freaky really i mean we don't you know i think we're so far removed from that one but uh when you go when you go to a, a a a ball where you dress in white and you go with daddy and it says you know the lord is your husband and your father is your boyfriend i, I i'm sorry i think that that there's just even if it's not meant quote unquote in that way i think as somebody said to me well then as one of my students once said they said well then why do they say it that way <laughs> you know it's like yeah i i, I don't um i i I have a problem with this idea because purity seems to have more to do with bride price and dowry. And, uh, you know, and, and there's just a lot of things to me outside of hygiene, personal hygiene and, and, you know, staving off of illness. Uh, I find that purity is very questionable in all other, um, venues, but Artemis is sort of that representation of purity and it's almost, um, that wrathful aspect. She's almost a representation of, um, <clears throat> you know, women, interesting, ironically, what happens to women who, who don't, um, have children or who don't, you know, fulfill that function in some way or don't follow that particular script, you know, she's, she's sort of like the, the scary figure who's supposed to sort of keep you from, you know, in the way that say Marmo or Gela or, uh, even Lilith were seen as figures who might steal your children away. She's somebody who might steal you away before you even had a chance to, um, 
commit, you know, in, engage in the sex act. And of course, if you did it outside of um, what was socially acceptable, there were other punishments for that as well. Um, as we see, you know, whether it be through, and again, the question of whether or not it's rape or whether or not, you know, it, it's a willing girl who has to say that she's raped. Um, which again, and, and you know, and, and again, you want to go back to um, particularly the Persephone episode that I have. Uh, I talk, I talk a lot more about that, and you know, because that 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 that's a, that's the thing that can very easily be misunderstood. So, um, if you heard that and went what, and you haven't heard the Persephone episode of of Cthonia, please go back and listen to that because I, I explain in great detail. I don't want to re-explain it all here. Um, but I do. So I guess what we do want to get down to is that Artemis. Artemis actually serves a very sort of chthonic function. She has to do with this fundamental earthiness. Uh, the, the girl at Menach, at, you know, at this this point where she's going to um, enter into womanhood. <clears throat> and uh, we've talked in many other episodes about the dangers of that. Artemis is the figure that um, to one performs the rituals and who has to be appeased. Whether it's the swinging rituals having to do with the hanging virgins, um, you know, singing the, um, you know, Aletus, the song of the wanderer, whether it's them behaving like bears, um, either to imitate the sacrifice of Iphigenia, or whether it is related to these other aspects of, of Artemis, um, you know, as, as connected to the great bear. Okay, uh, in particular, like I said, the bear and the stag. Um, she's usually pictured with a stag. Um, but and also boars. She's also been known to send wild boars. And if if we recall from the episode on uh, Kirke, which was the last one, you know, um, a lot of these have to do with uh, taming sexual elements. I think, um, you know, uh, the bear. The bear is the very protective mother, but certainly um, bulls and certainly boars uh, sort of represent that sort of. Um, very crass uh they can re- i mean they're, they're they can be very violent in their in their nature but when i think about kirke turning men into pigs you know men who give in you know who are overcome by desire you know certain desires and you know who potentially can behave in ways that are more animalistic than um say respectful or or you know whatever whatever else you one might um how what else one might interpret that certainly we know what we think of as eros or desire happens on a spectrum but that's a whole topic in and of itself that I, that again, I, I, I don't want to digress too much into that. But certainly there's this idea of um, needing to maybe, you know, perhaps actually, because that is the age where one's hormones are raging the most, uh, that, you know, staving off the possible negative effects of animalistic love of, you know, where, you know, the, you know. When you're 12, you have your first boyfriend, and you think, "Oh, we're gonna live together forever. We're gonna be married." And, you know, no, that's just not that. That is not an age where you need to even be thinking about that. Uh, I realize there are cultures where girls are married off at that age, but um, and perhaps even um, have gone into puberty and and are capable of bearing children at that point. But psychologically, it's just um, particularly in Western culture, that's just too early. Um, it, that's not even something that should be a consideration. And, you know, and, and, and that does sort of raise the interesting questions about, you know, sexuality, the dawning of sexuality and, and what that means. Um, it's obviously a very, very special thing. I mean, if you just consider the very fact that women are able to create at this point, they're able to create other humans, obviously not by themselves, but, um, you know, but it's, you know, it, it's still, you know, there, there, you know, there is such a, 
a cult surrounding this, uh, about the importance of this, about the importance of kind of using this sacred energy in what was considered to be the right way or the socially acceptable way or the way that was going to be beneficial to the society. So probably Artemis, you know, in her, as the Olympian, as sort of the enforcer of order, um, gets involved with these and her darker aspects are more, more the threats of what will happen to you if you step outside the order or, you know, what, what dangers or more, more, I think more to the point, I don't want, cause I don't think it's necessarily quite that didactic more about, um, you know, the you know, trying to meet head on the dangers that one can face, um, during this sort of transitional period in life. Okay. So I think I want to stop there. Um, I think those are sort of all the basics. You know, those are the two main main things I really wanted to uh, discuss regarding Artemis was her her sort of, you know, I, I help you birth children and I also kill them, and also her her association with these sort of um, devouring feminine figures or these figures that that tend to represent fertility or desire, uh, in seeming contradiction to what she is, but the way in which she sort of acts as a controlling force um, on these sort of um, Chthonic impulses and her relationship to other Chthonic deities, um, you know, with, where, of which she may have originally been one. She may have been a mother goddess at one point that became uh, broken out into this kind of role. So um, with that, I'm going to say thanks again for listening this week. Um, you know, again, there should be some more collaborations in the future. I will have more information uh, as we go on and uh, we'll see what the next episode is. Um, I want to say, um, you know, please visit Chthonia.net. Um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I've, I've said this several episodes now, but I'm going to be in the process of the winter of, uh, upgrading that and fixing it up and, uh, you know, trying to make it a little bit more right now. I'm like, I'd like to add a blog to it. I'd like to add some more updates right now. It's just kind of like, okay, all the content is there and you can, you can go through it pretty easily. But at the same time, I feel like it could be, um, a little more, a little more organized and efficient. So, um, but I need some help with that. So working on Chthonia, um, also, uh, this series is sponsored by, uh, Metapsychosis and the Cosmos Co-op. Um, so if you go to metapsychosis.com slash series slash Chthonia, uh, you can also see where all of these, um, episodes are, are, uh, housed, uh, and are at home. You can also subscribe through, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, whatever your favorite uh, podcast services. I have a Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash Chthonia. And so if you would like to support my work, um, you know, I'd very much appreciate that. And again, big thank you to those who already do support my work. Um, I'm hoping to do some more things, uh, being able to offer some more, you know, classes, services, other things, you know, be, you know besides just doing the podcast. So um, if you're on Patreon, you'll be up to date on all that stuff. And uh, I'm hoping now to have some, uh, you know, I've, I've been trying to, if, if I, my life has kind of ended up in, in, in a disarray for like the last two months due to, to completely unforeseen circumstances. So there are some things I've actually wanted to do even this past month, you know, with giveaways and some other things that just haven't panned out. So my apologies for that. Um, but we, we, I hope to get this together uh, for the new year. So <clears throat> if you're interested, check it out. And again, you know, thanks to my patrons. And with that, I will... See you in the next episode.